Welcome to the PropTech Podcast. It's Kylie Davis here, and I'm delighted to be your host as we explore the brave new world where technology and real estate collide. I passionately believe we need to create and grow a sense of community between the innovators and real estate agents and property developers, and sharing our stories is a great way to do that. Now, the aim of each episode is to introduce listeners to a prop tech innovator who is pushing the boundaries of what's possible and explore the issues and challenges raised by the tech and how they can create amazing property experiences. And this week, an inspiring and intensely interesting interview with Deb Noller, CEO of Switch Automation. By 2030, every building in Australia is going to be smart, connected and digital. But if you own a portfolio of buildings, whether commercial, retail, industrial or residential, there are literally hundreds of different data sources out there from every device you've ever installed and every supplier that you use. So how do you pull all of that information into one place, harness the data from thousands of devices and use it to start to make proactive rather than reactive decisions about your investment? Well, that's what Switch Automation does. Deb has used her background in transport and systems engineering to apply it to property management and ownership to enable the buildings that we work, live and play in to become smart, connected and more efficient and more responsive, effectively making them even better investments. Switch Automation were in the initial cohort of the Taronga Ventures Real X and have expanded into Asia with the help of that program. So here to tell us all about it, Deb Noller, welcome to the PropTech Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's it's wonderful to have you here. Now, we always start on the PropTech podcast, Deb, with um, an elevator pitch. So tell us the switch automation elevator pitch. Sure. We all know that sometime between now and 2030, all buildings will be smart, connected and digital. But what everybody who has a portfolio of buildings today is dealing with is Lots of buildings, lots of different systems, lots of different manufacturers, lots of IoT devices coming into the market every single day, vendors, uh, enterprise systems, and none of that information is in one place. So it's very difficult for uh, large companies to harness that data and then to use it and to get visibility into performance and improve uh, portfolio and asset performance. So that's essentially what Switch does. So it brings all of that data together from... I guess hundreds systems, of devices, uh, yet other um, B2B integrations. And we bring all of that together, single pane of glass and giving people the tools for them to be able to manage that uh, data comprehensively. So data compliance, data governance, et cetera. Um, and then also the, the applications and the tools over the top of that to really dig in and use that uh, in a, an extremely valuable way. So so why is that data valuable in commercial property? Like what's the problem that it's solving? Well, there's lots of uh, different uh, drivers behind it and nobody ever goes on a smart building journey for exactly the same reason. So sometimes it's around saving on costs because operational costs of buildings are quite hefty. Often it's driven by ESG goals for energy savings and improving the the whole um, uh, outlook on, you know, how people are investing money and how that money is being put to good use and uh, people are uh, good custodians of that money. So it could be ESG, energy savings. It could be uh, upgrading of capital 
uh, works in a, in a building. It could be um, managing your vendors. But by and large, if you look at people that have lots of buildings, they're not sitting in the buildings, they're looking across a portfolio and they just don't have that visibility. Mm. And at, at the moment, our buildings are quite analogue, aren't they? They're quite kind of they're still done the way that buildings have always, you know, that we still work and live in them the way that we've always worked and live in them. Why do we need to be moving towards smart buildings and smart cities? What's the value in that? Well, I think there's uh, essentially buildings use 40% of the world's energy, which means they contribute 40% of the carbon. So, I mean, that's a shocking statistic that in 2020, uh, the the buildings that we all occupy for 80 to 90% of our day-to-day lives are such poor uh, performers when it when it comes to the environment and are such a drain on the on the resources of the planet and we all should be just doing a better job of that I think um, COVID has really um, focused on health and well-being of buildings and a lot of buildings have unhealthy um, indoor environments and so I think that's become a real focus. I think there's an entire generation of technicians that are coming through that are not going to maintain our buildings the old way, you know, the manual analogue way of walking around uh, and looking at equipment and identifying things that are broken and determining how to do how they're going to fix those I think there needs to be a digital uh, transition of skills uh, and the whole industry and like really at the heart of it that just should be a better business being run out of real estate than what is currently which is everybody is hosting their own data in a spreadsheet or an access database or they're getting you know pulling reports off uh, vendor systems or not doing anything at all just basically making the numbers up uh, and if you think about that, it's a pretty woeful way of running a multi, multi, multi-million and sometimes billion-dollar business. Yeah, it's quite bizarre, isn't it? It's very reactive too. So you have to wait for a fault to happen before you are going to do anything about it. Yep, exactly. So it's like waiting for your customers to complain before you put the workflow in process to fix the issues. And these are clients that are paying, you know, sometimes millions of dollars for a, for a tenancy agreement uh, and you're expecting them to lodge the complaints of when they're too hot, when they're too cold, when the bathroom uh, ha- has plumbing issues, you know, when light fittings are, are broken, when there's the elevators have um, stopped working. I mean, it's crazy. All of this should be a proactive and it actually should be predictive. Um, mm-hmm. So really it's about moving workflow around building maintenance from reactive to proactive to predictive you should be able to actually determine that a building you know is drifting off its optimal performance and bring that building back without having to wait three months for the scheduled technician to have their call out to turn up on site to walk around and then uh, identify hopefully identify that problem. So the universe that we're looking at in this space is on one hand really analogue buildings with data sitting in silos and coming in from multiple providers and and then sort of being managed the best it can inside a spreadsheet and 
under that model, we're never going to hit carbon emission goals or, or, or truly work to kind of save the planet through because our properties are taking up, I guess, or, or using so much carbon. Totally but- correct. I mean, that, that has even been identified. There's a, you know, the Paris agreements are in place. Most of the countries around the world have subscribed to meeting those Paris agreements. But within those um, countries, there are working committees. And one of the big challenges that's been identified that will stop us from meeting those emissions is heating and cooling and buildings. So heating and cooling and buildings is a identified innovation challenge for the whole world to solve if we want to meet our Paris Agreements targets. And so, so what Switch Automation is doing is basically pulling all of that data into one spot so that you can basically see what's happening now and then from seeing what's happening now start to understand what's going to happen next and then start to actually plan and predict off that. Yeah, so collecting the data once is one of the problems that we solve. So rather than everybody collecting the information that they need for the job that they're doing, whether you're a, you know, a, a mechanical engineer or an energy efficiency or some sort of um, certifier around um, Green Star ratings, you know, right now, if you went around any, any nation globally, every single one of the services would be collecting that data individually for so collect once when you're collecting the information once you can actually put a lot more effort into verifying and making sure that data is really has high integrity Mm. sharing that data out with everybody and then use it putting tools over the top of that data to be able to to derive really useful um, cost saving and environmental improvements in the performance of buildings Mm, awesome. And so if every building, I mean, you're, you're basically helping us build smart cities at Switch. Yep, that's yep. true. Yep. And, so we and don't really ever... care about the segment of the buildings. <laughs> All buildings are the same from our perspective. They're, you know, they're bricks and mortar walls and then they have systems in them that help humans to occupy the buildings. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a residential building or a uh, commercial building for um, office use or a school or a university or a warehouse or a aircraft hangar. Um, the, the buildings still have systems that uh, allow humans to go into those buildings and to occupy them for either recreation or uh, residential or um, commercial use. And so if every building was connected to a switch automation how would that affect how we lived? How, how would it affect how we worked and lived in these buildings? Well, firstly, I think we, you would have real-time metrics into what was going on. So in the post-COVID world, you know, one of the things that landlords are really struggling with is how are we going to get people to come back to the office? Everybody has mm-hmm. spent the last eight months working from home and how are we going to entice them back to the office? Uh, And some of that is really just around giving people real-time metrics around indoor air quality, number of people in the building, the density of the people in the buildings. And it's it's really everybody then makes a risk assessment on how comfortable they feel about going back into that building, whether it be a school or a university or a a commercial building. So I think that's one of the, uh, the great advantages of collecting information out of buildings is being able to provide real-time KPIs for the right people. 
levels. So if you think about a visitor to a building who's standing in a lift lobby waiting for the elevator, they're not going to spend more than 20 seconds absorbing some message that's put onto a display. So that has to be really simple messaging, maybe just a big green tick around indoor air quality and that signals to them. Whereas if you're a building engineer that's monitoring that building, you would want to know exactly CO2 levels on every floor within each suite. You would want alarms on any of the um, spaces that have CO2 greater than you know, 900 parts per million. You would want to be measuring you know, temperature and humidity. And so I think it's around providing different information to different stakeholders. Mm, fantastic. And so how big are you guys at the moment? How, how big are you? How long have you been going for? We launched this platform in 2012. Uh, we have a team of roughly 50 people. Uh, our head office is in Denver, but we also have offices in Sydney. I'm based in Singapore. Uh, we have a, a development team in Lviv and also in Manila. Uh, so we're 50 people globally. Uh, we've raised $12 million US. Uh, we've got around 2,800 buildings on our platform and growing. Fantastic. And so tell me a little bit about your background, because you're not from the real estate space originally, as I understand. Correct. So I studied uh, a Bachelor of Commerce and majored in computer science. I really loved uh, the computer science element of the degree and and majored in that. And my first uh, role out of university was programming. Um, I met John, who's our co-founder, when we were both programming in a small software development company in Cairns and we started our first business. Um, Our first business was doing uh, freight tracking for large mining companies that had very distributed purchasing environments and they were losing sight of the materials for keeping projects um, on time, on budget. And so we developed solutions that helped them get real-time visibility into which ship, which container, which aircraft, uh, which loading bay, which truck. So they were able to identify where their materials were and if necessary to accelerate the delivery to site. Uh, We also interfaced into uh, Indonesian customs so that we could clear a manifest which allowed them to take the offloading of a ship from five days down to half a day. So, you know, really huge um, organisational efficiencies. And that's where I became incredibly fascinated with the um, way that technology could help large organisations become just better businesses. Uh, So this is back in the 90s when large companies were transitioning from handwritten bookkeeping and spreadsheets into big Mm -hmm. ERP systems. So I watched that transition And when I first came into large enterprise building real estate companies in 2010, it was a a revelation to me that I was looking at businesses that looked like 1990. uh, And that was really the opportunity that I saw is that we could bring technology to these companies in a way that allowed them to do a similar transition from as what they'd done with their financial systems, but with their real estate systems. Mm. We do see in the real estate space that there is a, a lot of reliance on, like you said before, spreadsheets, whiteboards, um, you know, very, you know, and, and manual systems that are, are reporting and recording all of this stuff. Um, and it's fascinating to think that there are industries that have done this successfully before before us. 
Yeah, exactly. Most yeah. most industries have worked out some sort of digital transition, uh, and real estate is definitely one of the last big industries on the planet that really has to undergo that massive digital transformation, uh, which should not only have you know really positive environmental impact, it should also have really great client customer relationship outcomes, uh, and also um, just you know, great organisational transition from that analogue to digital. And now let's hear a word from our sponsors. For almost 16 years, Direct Connect has made moving easy for over 1.2 million renters and homeowners by arranging connections to a wide range of services, from electricity and gas to internet and pay TV. With a national team of local account managers who are experts in the industry, Direct Connect are there to support your real estate business with competitive rewards for every successful connection, plus an industry-leading rewards program. The connection process is simple, and Direct Connect's always-on guarantee ensures your customers will be connected on the day they move in. Direct Connect offers a range of market-leading suppliers and Direct Connect has now made it even easier than ever to send connections directly integrating with MRI Software's property tree. So in just a few clicks while processing a tenancy, you can send the connection details through and get your customers connected. To make the right connection and find out how Direct Connect can make moving easy for you and easy for your customers, visit agents.directconnect.com.au or call one 300 so, so you guys were recently part of the Real X Accelerator with Taronga Ventures. Um, tell me a little bit about how what that experience was like. What did you get out of that? Yeah, we were invited to be part of that. I've known uh, Jonathan Hannam and Avi Naidu for at least five years and watched their journey as they, you know, s- started their um company and raise their fund and you know they are very similar to any other startup entrepreneur they they are really uh, entrepreneurs and just had a lot of admiration for the grit and determination that they brought to that um, journey and how they persisted uh, through you know all the hurdles and obstacles that they had to so when they uh, launched their first program in January of this year, they asked if we would participate. At that time, I was actually um, in New York. We were just completing the Metaprop um, oh, yeah. uh, program in yep. New York, and I was intending to move to New York. Uh, so we went into this program, uh, I wouldn't say reluctantly, that's not the right word, but we went into it not really understanding what we would get out of it, I went into it more because of my personal admiration for um, Jonathan and and Avi more than what I thought Switch would get out of it. Uh, And their connectivity, I think, into the Australian real estate um, uh, market. What I didn't realise was that COVID was going to hit so dramatically in March and that that I would be relocating um, to Singapore and what um, that program has brought to me, obviously, is it just an enormous, valuable, high net worth uh, network right across Southeast Asia, which has been, you know, really uh, quite a windfall for me uh, and, and our company, which I wasn't expecting to get out of that 
I mean, one of the things that all founders get out of those programs is just connectivity to other founders. And mm. that is just so valuable. There's nothing, there's nothing on earth like being a startup founder. And mm -hmm. when you meet other startup founders, you just, it's just a, a really valuable network to have. Mm. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had as an entrepreneur? Finding a way when there is no way, you know, so yeah. that, that's uh, a famous line from uh, Ben Horowitz's book um, called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And it's a book that I always recommend to every startup founder, but it's basically saying your job as a startup founder is it, you really only have two or three things to do. One of them is to make sure your company doesn't run out of money. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one is to hire great talent. Uh, and then the third thing is to find a way when there is no way. Uh, and or, or often, you know, the, the certainly the financial um, part of it is that, you know, finding a way when there is no way. So it, it's, you know, just resiliency and not giving up uh, and keeping hold of the dream and keeping the dream alive. And, you know, it's a, it's a real roller coaster. Uh, mm -hmm. There's lots, lots of ups and downs. Uh, and, you know, sometimes those downs are a pretty deep trough and, you know, nobody else can really understand what that's like. And it's, it's pretty horrendous for your family and friends to watch that too, by the way, because they, they feel incredibly helpless. It's really all on you to solve that. Mm. So, well, that, yeah, the, the capital raising, I think, is particularly difficult. And I think all startup founders find that difficult. And I think female founders find it even more difficult. Mm. So, so through Real X, you've got an awful lot of introductions and connections with Southeast Asian building developers and building owners. If you could rate for it, like, I'm interested to hear because I, I observe in the commercial um, real estate space in Australia that, you know, very big companies, very long sales cycles for startups, which can be very hard um, when you're so flexible and nimble. And um, so like getting into a really long contract period or due diligence and all of that stuff can really slow down innovation. So out of, out of the Southeast Asian nations, who do you think is embracing this, the, smart city stuff that you're that you're enabling through switch the best and and where would you rate Australia on on that yeah that's a really interesting question so Australia uh, adopted things like neighbors really early on mm. so that actually gave Australian developers this false real estate owners and operators I believe it gave them this false sense of um well, we've already done that when it came to digital buildings and building performance, when mm. in fact they hadn't. They'd done a fair bit around measuring the energy performance of their buildings and they'd done a fair bit around how to convert those buildings to a better energy profile through um, energy procurement and converting, um, you know, to LED light fittings, for example. So they'd, they'd done some, they'd gone a long way towards making their buildings more performant from an energy perspective, but there's still so much to be done around digging into building systems and understanding whether those buildings are optimised or not. So yeah, I we hired uh, through 2015, through 
or still still doing it. Um, really talented uh, mechanical and energy engineers, and they were um, in, from in the US. I'm talking, and when they would come out to Australia, they would be incredibly frustrated with the conversations that they would have with some of the Australian market. That was, oh, well, we've already done that. Like, you haven't done that at all. Because smart buildings are more than just energy, aren't they? Exactly, exactly. So smart buildings around occupant experience, around um, the digital skills of the FM teams and the operators and the around, I mean, there's just so much more to smart buildings than uh, energy performance. So I don't think anybody's leading the way, to be honest. I think the whole industry globally is a laggard. Uh, I think there's a lot of prop tech companies that have amazing tech. They almost all have the same problem. How do we get these building owners and operators to go faster uh, so that big companies are not killing small companies, uh, which is, you know, it's a real issue. Uh, yeah. Large large companies wasting time and money doing pilots, uh, endless bright, what I call the bright, shiny thing pilots, mm. which is not a strategic move into a digital um, a journey for your portfolio. It's just basically looking busy and ticking the innovation box because I'm doing, you know, trials of seven seven different, you know, digital technologies or IoT devices. Well, that's that's not going to end up taking your portfolio on a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If if you were a building owner working in the real estate space, how would you be doing it, Deb? How yeah, well, you so you have to start with the end in mind. So yep. it, it, in 2030, what would we expect from our buildings? And if you work back from that, you can come up with a plan that every year you make another step towards that journey and you end up in the right place. So it's all of the data in one hosted environment under your control where you own the data and it's got great governance and compliance and privacy controls over the top of it, that mm-hmm. all of the technologies that you select Uh, contribute towards that data store, that that data store is open so that you can add any application over the top of it, whether it's fault detection or, uh, you know, uh, visitor engagement or tenancy apps, uh, that um, you're building a team that are having a really strong digital transformation. Because if you think about the next generation, and if you ask them to walk into any large real estate company today and look at how they were doing their work, most of them for a start would roll their eyes and go, you've got to be kidding. I've got a smartphone that's smarter than the building and you're expecting me to do this for, for my job. Whereas if you think about talent retention and take, you know, hiring the, the, the greatest talent on the planet and the ret- retaining that talent, that's all about providing them with the careers that's going to have really great growth and this is an industry that's going to have enormous growth so Mm. I would be starting immediately on starting to hire that um, digital smart buildings team because Mm -hmm. I think if you get in early you're going to have a a group of people that are going to have some enormous wins Mm -hmm. Um, I would be hiring a couple of data scientists yeah Yeah, fantastic. As a real estate agent, you know you need to be doing more content marketing, but creating posts for social media, creating videos and reports is hard work, lots of hard work, and it takes time. So that's why you need Homeprezzo. 
If you're a typical agent posting one or two social media posts a week, Homeprezzo can save you between 75 to 100 hours a year. How many more properties could you sell with if you had that time back? Homeprezzo can help you create engaging, informative videos about how the property market in your local suburb is performing. Plus it makes creating suburb reports, rental videos for landlords and social media infographics an absolute piece of cake. If you can type in a suburb or type an address, you can create a Prezzo using Home Prezzo in just a few minutes. Listeners to the PropTech podcast receive a 14-day free trial. Now that's twice as long as the normal free trial. So go to homeprezzo.com.au and click the sign up button and use the code PropTech to get your extended free trial or click the link in our show notes. So so what's the competitive landscape like for, you know, for this smart building and smart city technology that like you're creating and for Switch? Prop tech or real tech, so property technology or, or real estate technology, is an incredibly uh, convoluted, um, noisy, uh difficult space for most people to unpack. All all of the companies appear to be very similar. We all look alike. Uh, It's very difficult for people on the other side of the desk to um, to assess the differences between these companies. And that's one of the other reasons that PropTech has emerged quite slowly is the, the buyer, uh, the buyer, the buying skills within or the assessment for technology skills within real estate companies is not necessarily um, as strong as it should be. Um, so yeah, it's there's a lot of them, but at the same time, there has to be a lot of them. If you look at all of the big industries that were transformed and went digital, that it wasn't one app or one company. Like look at travel. How many different technologies do you access to be able to book flights, hotels, cars, Airbnbs, um, excursions, etc. I mean, that entire industry is very similar in in the the uh, complexity and and the size of it for as real estate. And so, there's not going to be one company. It's going to be a whole ecosystem of collaborative and interconnected and interoperable technologies that will actually solve this. Mm. Yeah, I agree. So, so over the next five years, I know we're you know we're, we're ten years away from twenty thirty, which is when we hope to be living in smart cities, I guess, uh, and 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 have every building smart. But as we get to there, what do you think the next five years are going to hold? Yeah, I think I think what this pandemic has done is really highlight just how backward the industry is in the adoption of tech. Uh, so I think. This. I, I find it amazing that one of the things that's holding us back from going into big commercial buildings is anxiety around the elevator. Like, you know, we're worried about, they're worried that if you go in and, you, you know, the, the, you'll catch COVID in the, in the lift because people are touching the buttons or in a small confined space. And in fact, they can't get enough people up and down the building if they, you know, maintain distancing and stuff like that. Yeah, Hong Kong, uh, most of the buttons in the elevators uh, within a month of COVID starting all needed to be replaced because people were using their keys to push the buttons. Oh. 
Oh dear. Sorry, I interrupted. Um, so the next five years, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I th- as I was saying, I think the pandemic has really highlighted um, the lack of remote control, the lack of visibility, the lack of um, information around what was going on. So if you're sitting in the middle of Singapore or Hong Kong or Sydney or New York and you've got a global portfolio, the 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 pandemic really highlighted that the tide just went out went out, and you were caught swimming naked. You know, the, there was really no information around uh, building utilisation, building occupancy, and I think that's actually highlighted why these uh, technologies are really critical. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the perfect world, the pandemic would have hit first week of March and people would have known instantly what building occupancy looked like and they would have been able to hibernate buildings instantly, saving themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars immediately, not only uh, saving money on the cost, but also just that brand and reputational risk of being able to visibly see a building is shut down, uh, you know, at six o'clock in the morning instead of lit up like a Christmas tree, even though it's, you know, everybody knows there's nobody in the buildings. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, that it's really kind of brought to the fore why these technologies are so critical. Mm. And so what does the next five years look like for Switch? What's your future hold? Yeah, so we've, we've set out to solve, uh, well, we've set out to build a global organisation that's solving a um, global problem. So we really want to be the global standard. So we want to be the company that people talks about in a verb, you know, have you switched on your buildings yet? Uh, mm-hmm. You're, you know, switch it up or, or whatever it is. Thank you for choosing a word that is actually a verb. To <laughs> <laughs> noun, turn a noun into a verb. Sorry. Yeah, like Google. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so you know, what, what we're looking to and, – and everything we do is at scale. So we think about how – not how you make one perfect building, but how do you make um, a 100,000 near-perfect or better buildings. Uh, mm-hmm. And so everything that we do, every day that we wake up, we think about scaling for hundreds, for thousands of buildings because that's really how we're going to make impact. Act. So it's around consistency and standardization and getting tools into the hands of not highly, highly specialized people, but the people that are owning and operating buildings so that this stuff can can go much, much faster. Um, so I would like to think that over the next five years, we'll be just onboarding buildings uh, in the thousands to the point where it's very normal to have all of your buildings connected and all of your data uh, accessible and people using that data and, um, you know, buildings hopefully not using 40% of the world's energy. Yeah, bringing that right down. Um, And so, Deb, one last question. Is most of your business coming from building owners who are importing you in or are you also connecting up with other technology businesses out there who are saying, we've got, you know, we've got an IoT that should be plugged into Switch? Yeah, we're starting to see more of that where somebody's built, you know, a really clever sensor and doesn't necessarily have a platform. And so we're starting to see those partnerships, starting to see a lot of service companies that are looking for the tools that will transition their team from 
old school manual into that digital service delivery. Uh, so starting to see a lot more of that. I mean, up until from 2013 to, you know, probably uh, a year ago, we, even though we knew that eventually our tools would be adopted by the industry, and that's what we certainly, when we first went to US, that was the way we were uh, attempting to break into that market. But we just found that the market wasn't ready yet. And I, I call that the year I tried to sell Uber to the taxi drivers because, you know, mm -hmm. taxi drivers have spent a lot of money on their business. They get up every day. They know how they make money. There's nobody eating their lunch. So they're just going to get up and do the same thing. Uh, but we actually had a lot of success selling direct. Uh, so we just did that while we waited for the market to evolve. But I think yeah. if we're truly going to be successful in uh, reach, market reach, then we're going to have to develop some really strong global partnerships. Fantastic. Well, look, Deb, it has been wonderful to talk to you again. Thank you so much for your time um, and all the best of luck with, um, with Switch Automation. We'll include some contact details in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. Real pleasure. Yeah. So that was Deb Nola from Switch Automation. And I have to say the prop tech coming through in the commercial space at the moment is really inspirational. We're seeing solutions here that are solving genuine problems in the big building space that affect both the short and long-term investment return and which are significantly improving the experiences we have in these buildings and making life easier for the people who manage them. But most importantly, they're driving the industry towards solving huge environmental and social issues in ways that are delightful, not difficult to do. And this is not a do-good, a greeny altruism, not that there's anything wrong with that, but this is just good practical business sense with huge upsides for the planet and for our bottom lines as investors. In such a light, the decision for any major building owner or developer to drag their feet on adopting these changes, in preference for old school practices that commit everyone to ways that are expensive, laborious, inefficient and slow, and they make life more uncomfortable and difficult for tenants, well, that borders on negligence in my view. So if you're an investor in a REIT, if you work in a development or commercial building company, if you're a tenant in a commercial building, start making a noise. Start demanding better. You do not need to wear a jumper at your cubicle on a day of 36 degrees outside if your building is being run using solutions like switch automation. So what do you think? Have you heard of other Australian or New Zealand prop techs working in this space? I'd really love to hear your thoughts. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Prop Tech Podcast, I'd love you to tell your friends. Drop me a line via email, kylie at realcontent.guru. Say hello on LinkedIn or on Facebook. You can follow the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor and Apple iTunes. I'd like to thank my audio support, Charlie Hollands, the fabulous Jill Escudero, and our sponsors, Smidge, official wines of the PropTech community, Direct Connect, making moving easy, and Home Prezzo, now part of ActivePipe, and making email marketing more easier than ever. Thanks, everybody. Keep on prop teching.